news. Real kids, real questions. Hi everyone, and thanks for joining us on Kids Cues. I'm Kate. And I'm Dylan. And every day, millions of kids go off to school. And for most of us, that means sitting in a classroom. Except when COVID hit. And then we realised just how much could be achieved with technology. Now, all around the world, many countries are thinking about how to best prepare their students for what's known as the Fourth Industrial Revolution, first mentioned by Klaus Schwab in 2016. One of the features of this Fourth Industrial Revolution is that it doesn't change what we are doing, but it changes us. So what exactly is the Industrial 4.0? Well, basically, it's described as a technological revolution that's blurring the lines between the physical, digital and biological spheres. So think artificial intelligence, robots and 3D printing. But how will schools adapt? And what would your classroom look like in 2050? Will there even be classrooms? Professor Stephen Heppel is an English educator who's passionate about the future of learning. He works with governments, companies and schools globally. Professor Stephen Heppel, thank you so much for being on Kids Cues. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you're speaking to us from the UK, but we understand you've visited Perth before. Perth was actually the first place in Australia I ever visited, and I I came straight home and planted a eucalyptus tree in my garden, which is now a very big tree. And uh, recently I've been working in Wesley, helping design that science space, which I think, Dylan, you were a Wesley student? I am a Wesley student and I love the science buildings. We were just doing an experiment in there today. The really good teachers wanted to do something ambitious and we talked a lot to the students and oh, I think it's the best science facility in any school in the world. So you're very lucky to be there and I enjoyed helping make it a lot. We know the world is changing very rapidly and the students from Ardross Primary School have some really interesting questions for you. My name is Eva. What sort of technology will be available in schools for children in 2050? I've been a professor for 30 years, so I go right back to technology 30 years ago. So thinking forward 30 years, it's not so hard really because I think there are three big things that are going to happen. Firstly, the technology will be all around you and part of you, mainly it'll be in your glasses, not on your desktop. It might be on your wrist. It might be in your earrings. You know, you'll be wearing technology and that's quite exciting. And I think it'll be your technology you won't be using the same stuff as everybody else it'll be what you need it to be and uh, we all have different needs you know but i think it's quite interesting to think what technology is good at because it'll still be good at those things in 2050 technology is very good at following rules it's very good at um, doing what it's supposed to do very good at being consistent it's very good at repeating things and i think um children in schools in in, in the past were always asked to follow rules and be good at remembering and repeat things and be consistent but it's no good doing those things now because computers will be good at those so the things you'll be doing will be being playful and being adventurous and being curious being ingenious having a lot of fun so i think uh, the technology will do a lot of the stuff you used to be supposed to do and you'll be doing all the cool stuff that, that smart brains can do so it's going to be pretty exciting 2050 I'll be 100 then, but I'm still looking forward to it. That actually sounds really exciting. I'm looking forward to doing all the fun stuff and robots doing all the dangerous, boring stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So imagine how different schools will be for our kids. And this leads us to a good question from Amelia. Do you think we will still need to learn to write in the future? 
given that technology can do the writing for us. Computers are pretty good at doing the reading and the writing. They, they read text back to you pretty well. And now, of course, they do that in all different languages. So the excitement for me is I can talk to my computer in English and it will write for me in Arabic. And I can't write in Arabic, but I can send it off to my friends in, say, Saudi Arabia, and they can read it. So I think the computer is going to turbocharge the writing we used to do and the things we wanted to write. But I think you'll still probably have a pencil in your back pocket, you know. I still do a bit of watercolour painting because I love it, even though Photoshop does it better. It's something just nice about getting messy with paint. So I think, you know, pencils and paintbrushes and pens will still be around. But I'll tell you what. For students listening to this who are not much good at writing, hey, don't worry because you don't need to be. It'll be a nice thing to have, but it won't be necessary. The computer will be better at those things than you could possibly be. You've still got to think about what you want to write, and that's when you've got to think of those good poems and stories and adventures and letters. So what you write is going to need your brain. How you write it, who cares? I know with our school laptops, we actually have a pen that comes with the laptop. So you're still writing, but it's on a computer. So it's the best of both worlds, I guess. Now, Lincoln would like to know about the future of teachers. In schools of the future, will teachers be needed? They will, but they won't be doing some of the things they do now. We did a survey a long time ago about people's best learning experience. And they always said there was a teacher or a coach or sometimes a parent helping. And the thing they remembered most was that those teachers were a little bit crazy. They, were, they really cared about geography and a bit mad about poetry. They really, really, really loved maths and couldn't wait to show you Ethiopian maths, which, by the way, if you don't know how Ethiopian maths works, have a Google of that. So I think your teachers are going to need passion. They're going to need to care about their subjects. But they're kind of boring stuff. You don't need them to do so. If the teachers are boring and they're doing boring stuff, it's kind of sayonara, I think. Um, if they're exciting and they're fun to be with and they really, really know their subject because you're going to need knowledge. You're really going to need to understand your maths and your physics and things like that. Teachers are good at those things. You're going to need them for absolutely forever. Then mind 2050, you'll need them in, in 5050, a long way away. Yes, well, I hope they're still exciting and I hope they're still there because I would hate to be learning from a humanoid robot. That's just creepy. One, one thing I would say is, of course, around the world, um, not everybody's got teachers. There are lots of two billion children in the world and only about half of them are having any kind of proper education. And for a lot of them, in Pakistan, there's 25 million children who haven't got a teacher or a school. Now, what's interesting is in those places... Just as used to happen in Australia a hundred years ago, the children teach each other. You know, you get to be, you guys are 12. Well, in Australia, they had a thing called, called student teachers, and they were children at 13. If you were a 13-year-old girl and you were good at your subjects, you got to be the teacher. And I think we don't make enough of children teaching each other. That's why I love this podcast. You know, I think students asking questions uh, of people who know their stuff, you know, is very much the future. So, yeah, we will still have teachers, but you know what? You'll be some of them, and that's quite exciting. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and I think <laughs> especially because children can connect more with other kids than they can with adults, and they can explain it in a way that is more understood by their generation, I guess. Matthew wants to know if teachers could eventually be replaced by robots. If robots take over teaching roles in 2050, 
Will schools become more like business centres for children where they can work in different spaces at different times and the robots just deliver the lessons? I think the idea that you turn up to one place every day and have lessons in the same place, that certainly is disappearing now and will certainly be gone in 10 years. And so the question is, what do the new places look like? And some of the schools, particularly in Australia, where you've got some fabulous schools, uh, you know, you've, you've got different zones in, in what used to be the learning space. You know, you've got a place for research and a place for presentation and a place for maybe doing podcasts and a radio station. You know? So you've got different zones for different sorts of learning. But I think those zones will appear outside the school as well. I was funny enough, I was talking to another group of students from Scotland just the other day. We were talking about COVID, which I know you've had that conversation on your podcast. And one of the questions we asked all the students there was in a world where you can um, do some learning online and some face-to-face. How many days do you need to do face-to-face per week to be able to keep up with your mates? And the average reply from there were quite a lot of them was only two days. They said, yeah, I need to go to school a couple of days a week, but I'm happy to go to the botanical garden and the museums and the local arts centre and the hospital. And as you say, Matt, you go into work, to go into workplace settings as well. So I think learning becomes a much more spread thing. You're allowed to learn in a lot more places. And that just feels right to me. And there's something a bit wrong about a group of children sat in a class because they're all born between two Januarys. doesn't seem quite right. And I think it won't last. Now, speaking of teachers, we've actually got our first question ever from a teacher on Kids Cues. How can the kids of today prepare for schools of the future? What can we do now to change the way we think about education? So one of the things I've been looking at here has been to look at how much better learning could be. And we've been doing it a lot with students. And there's something about asking that question, how can we do this better? That really is the answer to that question about um, how do we prepare for the future going forward. I'll give you a couple of examples. We've been measuring the amount of CO2 in the classroom and the amount of oxygen. Students breathe in oxygen, they breathe out CO2. So as a class works during the morning, the room fills up with CO2, but like a swimming pool, it fills up from the floor upwards. And your brain doesn't work very well in a room full of CO2. So, of course, when we talk to school designers about that, they say, oh, we've been putting expensive filtering systems or we put in um, air conditioning or whatever. Students say, yeah, let's bring in lots of plants because they read about photosynthesis in their science and they know that a plant absorbs CO2 and produces oxygen, well, it does in the daytime. So we've been doing a thing called BYOP, bring your own plant. And the students all bring their own plant in and it transforms the room because suddenly the room is full of oxygen and everybody's wide awake and they're sharp and the results get better and the behaviour's fab, you know. And then people start looking and saying, hey, what else can we make better? My favourite of all these is sitting, you know, when teachers sometimes tell you to sit up straight and don't fidget, that's actually the opposite of what you should be doing. You should be slouching back a bit because when you sit up straight, your your legs and your body are at 90 degrees, like a right angle. And, you know, if you're trying to you're trying to drive a car along a road and there's a 90-degree turn and you're on your bicycle, you have to slow down because the blood slows down as it goes around your body because of that 90-degree turn at your hips and then another 90-degree turn at your knees and the blood goes all the way down to your toes and all the way back up to your brain again. Kind of gets to your brain, you know, it's not going very quick and you're not thinking very sharp. And we know that if you move while you're learning, your brain is a lot sharper. 
So fidgeting is a really good thing to be doing in class and slumping back so your body is at about 130 degrees rather than 90 degrees is really good. If I can go back to the BYOP, I think that would be great for my school to take part in. My year six teacher, he had a device in our classroom that told you what the CO2 level was. And I remember if it got above a thousand, someone would point at the screen and start screaming and the whole classroom would be yelling and it it wasn't actually that big of a deal. But we would open the door and everyone would evacuate. That's probably interesting because we've been into schools where the parts per million, the PPM number, there's been over 5,000 parts per million, and your teacher was spot on. Once it goes over 1,000, your brain stops working well. And a lot of people listening to this will know coming up to lunchtime, you're really struggling to stay focused. That's not because there's anything wrong with your brain. It's because there's something wrong with the, the room and the ventilation in the room. Kane wants to know more about if there could be more flexibility in years to come. In schools in 2050, will there be set subjects that every child needs to complete? Or will students have more choice in choosing pathways that suit their learning needs? One of the silly things about education is not letting you do things until you're old enough. So, for example, in in Australia, you didn't used to be allowed to vote until you were 27. I think then 21, then 18, the age is coming down in Scotland over here in the United Kingdom. um, They've just dropped their voting age to 16. But yet in all that time, Everybody always went to university at 18. You didn't go earlier and earlier. And I've never met school students who couldn't do university work at 14 or 15, really. If they've done the groundwork before, why wouldn't they go? Part of the reason they can't go to university younger is because maybe they need to drive or cook or look after themselves. But of course, when the university is online and you're not going physically so often, no reason at all why you guys shouldn't be. I mean, look at you, Kate and Dylan. You're asking really good questions at 12 and I I do lots of media interviews these are these are better questions than I've had from a lot of um, TV presenters you know so there's no reason why you couldn't be doing their work at 14 <laughs> or 15 why don't you have to wait till 20 you know and I think that's what's going to happen so yeah long answer to, um, to Ken's question really you'll be doing topic problems you'll be doing problems that need you to be ingenious you'll need a lot of knowledge for that and you could do it as early as you like as soon as you think you can fix the problem you get out there and fix it, and that's an exciting time. I'll tell you what, I wish I was a kid again right now. It's going to be a fabulous next 10 years. I wouldn't mind going to the future for some of these opportunities. And speaking of COVID, we've seen how successful home learning can be. So really, anything is possible. Will kids be smarter than kids today in 2050? I think children are way smarter than they're allowed to be. And I think as time goes by, you're allowed to be smarter and smarter and that's part of the answer whether that's evolution or whether that's just sensible it doesn't really matter does it but i reckon if i sat down a 12 year old me with you kate and dylan you would you'd knock my socks off with your maths and your english and your podcasting and and i was pretty smart at school so you're you're better than me already that's cool just imagine how clever the generations will become. Maybe one day we'll find a solution for climate change. I think you're right. And, and, and on a serious note, you know, the, the world is full of problems and we get new problems are coming at us really fast. You know, the forest fires, uh, the climate, dramatic climate change, storms, water shortages, disease. You know, the problems are coming so fast at us. 
we need every child on the planet, all 2.2 billion of them, to be the smartest they can possibly be to fix these problems going forward. Because one thing's for sure, your teachers and your parents haven't been able to fix them. There's an interesting little thought to finish with you guys. Everybody in your school, every single student was born in this century. Every single teacher was born in the last century. And so this is your century, and you guys need to get out there and fix it. And it won't be us, it will be you. And I trust you to do a really good job. I think that you're right. We're, we're getting new problems every day, but let's just hope we can figure out the solutions as soon as possible. Well, Professor Stephen yeah. Heppel, thanks so much for your time on Kids Cues. My pleasure. My pleasure, both of you. And thanks to all the Year 5s and 6s from Ardross Primary School for your questions. We hope you can join us next week for Kids Cues when we're going to be talking about what happens to your household rubbish. I'm pretty sure a lot of it goes to landfill. We all know how important recycling is for the planet. This will be great everyday advice, especially for the adults. And kids too. Well, that's it from us. Until then, bye for now. Kids Cues, brought to you by the West Australian's Ed Magazine and 7West Media Education.